0: Thanks to Malcolm Gladwell's 2008 book, Outliers, there's a common-held belief that 10,000 hours is what it takes to become expert at something, to master that skill. So imagine that you've logged over 12,000 hours of coaching, chaired the global board of the International Coaching Federation, and worked as an executive coach to CEOs and senior leaders. You'd imagine that person must have really perfected the art of coaching, wouldn't you?
1: Oh no, my, <laughs> like I said, it was hard work uh, and lots of mistakes uh, and Stefan, just uh, to put things into perspective, so I have, uh, I think, 12,000 hours and I'm making mistakes every day. Uh, we keep on learning, right, uh, perfection is unattainable uh, and that's really great. Welcome to the Curious Coach Podcast. So buckle up as we travel around and explore the world of coaching. Here's your host and professional coach, Stephen Clements.
0: Recently, I had the absolute pleasure to interview Jean-Francois, cousin, an executive coach based in Thailand and who, in 2019, was the chair of the Global ICF Board. There's something really energising in how he shares some of his mistakes and learnings from when he started out as a coach. Along the way, you'll hear about the importance of authenticity, finding your niche, how he came to be involved with the ICF, and how he missed out on a dream gig which would have involved coaching in the Maldives. We'll also hear his thoughts on the future of coaching, and how this may be disrupted by technology such as artificial intelligence. In fact, we covered a lot. So without further ado, let me hand over to Jean-Francois to introduce himself. Yeah,
1: thanks, uh, Stephen, for the chance to uh, speak with you today. I'm looking forward to it very much. Uh, so you pronounce my name in French correctly, Jean-Francois. The family name is Cousin. Uh, I'm based in Asia. I spent more than 20 years in Asia, actually, and my name uh, does not fit uh, what's pronounceable. There, so everybody calls me JFC. So can you? <laughs> I'm an executive coach uh, for 14 years now, and I first had a corporate career with a multinational company, and I was lucky that um, they moved me around the world in different management positions, uh, and um, and including Asia. And then when I decided around 40 years of age to embrace a second career in coaching, I. Moved back to Asia, where I was stationed until three years before then, and um, and uh, start from there because I knew more people than in Europe actually. And I've been at it for fourteen years and loving uh, loving it, Stefan. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm a master certificate coach with the ICF, and I'm also on the. Uh, global board of the International uh, Coaching Federation for Coach Practitioners Um, and last year I was uh, the chair of uh, that board which gave me the opportunity to serve our community of coaches around the world and I love that too.
0: Mm. It it sounds like it's been a fantastic second career so far. It's
1: been fantastic in many ways. It's been a lot of hard work too, Stephen, right? Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose on that, like to change career uh, and then to embrace coaching and develop yourself the way you have, I suppose I'm really curious, how did you first discover coaching and decide that that was your second career? Well,
1: actually, uh, when I was in my last corporate job, uh, Stephen, it was, uh, um, uh, I was head of Strategy worldwide for one division of that big multinational uh, company I had been working for. And I did uh, not like the level of politics that was at the level above me in the hierarchy. And the fact that people at that higher level were spending most of their time in the office and they were very disconnected from operations and people whom I love. And I thought if ever I would be promoted again, then. I probably would not enjoy the journey very much. And so I scratched my head uh, and I reflected about what I was loving the most in management so far. And that was... To see my people grow, those uh, colleagues I had the privilege to uh, manage, uh, to see them grow, to help them grow. And then I'm an engineer by background, uh, Stephen, so I did kind of a uh, survey uh, what I could possibly do to really enjoy that, that part in of helping people develop um, that I enjoyed the most and uh, coaching came up pop really because it was already very successful in the US uh, 14 years ago, 15 years ago and it was establishing itself very, very well in Europe uh, and um, so I studied more and I found, hmm, sounds worth it, let's go and make it happen and I located myself in Asia because I had the a large network of people I could go and meet um, and explain uh, what I was wishing to do as a second career. And yeah, and then I went to, back to, coach, to school, right? Uh, in a coaching school. <laughs> and I uh, started to practice as I was learning.
0: Mm. Fantastic, and uh, I'm really hearing the the engineering methodology being applied to to um, figuring all that out.
1: <laughs> well, I applied the engineering uh, rationale to my market survey, right? To compare coaching yeah. <laughs> with other news uh, uh, for a professional development. Uh, but that, as long as it went, I'm not using much, if anything, what I learned as an engineer in my coaching uh, work at all, <laughs> Stephen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So I, I suppose I'd be really curious, um, Jean-François, to understand maybe some of the the learnings or mistakes that you made starting out. Because in in some ways, we you know, it's easy to look at you now today, fourteen, fifteen years later, you're a very successful coach um, on that ICF global board, and it might be a case of wow. But I'm sure it wasn't always like that. Oh no, my,
1: <laughs> like I say, it was hard work uh, and lots of mistakes. Uh, and Stefan, just uh, to put things into perspective, I so have uh, about, uh, I think, 12,000 hours and I'm making mistakes every day. <laughs> and that's... Uh, it's a job that uh, we keep on learning, right? Uh, perfection is unattainable, uh, and that's really great. Then uh, we keep uh, growing with our beloved clients, uh, and that's really cool. And uh, God, oh, yeah, I've made so many mistakes. Uh, uh, and in particular, at the start, um, I, I was, as I was in coaching school, uh, writing lots of emails to uh, people I knew and others. Uh, and it did land uh, some conversations, but no business at all. In fact, uh, and then I felt very alone. And, um, and that's a contrast when, uh, we, with uh, my previous status uh, in that uh, large company, you know, in quite a senior job. Uh, and someone tell, asked me, do you have a mentor? And I thought, Jesus, no, I don't have a mentor, so go get one was the advice. And then uh, I had the privilege to work with a, a great mentor um, and that really helped me get a bit wiser and blossom faster. And so my first, recommendations, uh, my first recommendation to everyone uh, who is um, in the beginning of their career is, get a mentor <laughs> uh, and that mentor, told me to talk with my former colleagues and my friends, not about what I was wanting to do, but uh, how I wanted to serve others. And I think that shift in approach to conversation from telling people what to do, to sharing with them uh, how you want to serve others is really very helpful. And then, one morning, I, to my surprise, re- received an answer to the, one of the hundreds of emails uh, that had so far gone un- unanswered from the CEO of a huge multinational company in Thailand, where I was residing and still reside. And um, he ans- he's, uh, was answering a, 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 my email uh, with one sentence. Let's meet tomorrow, 4 p.m., your office. That, that was it. And then I freaked out, uh, Stefan, because my office was absolutely ugly. Actually, I was renting a townhouse, and uh, uh, that was really, really cheap. And, uh, and then um, to make it even cheaper, I was subletting the first floor and the second floor to uh, friends who were having... Uh, dirty businesses. One was uh, in the business of piping, so he had uh, stacks of pipes. And on the second floor was an artist, a friend of mine, who was uh, a sculptor. And therefore, the second floor was full of wax and clay. And that was a dirty place. So imagining that CEO with more than 7,000 employees and him coming to my office really freaked me out. And I spent the morning of the next day Um, polishing everything but it was still looking so crappy and he came sharp on time and he came stefan on a vespa motorcycle actually and i thought wow that's cool and he looked friendly and he walked up the two flights of stairs to the third level where my super crappy little office was Um, and he sat down and just said all right so tell me about you and what you do and i was thinking oh, this is going to be the shortest conversation ever in my life, right? Because I'm not doing much uh, and there's nothing about me that's worthy of sharing really in this new profession. And uh, to my surprise, I managed uh, to hold, uh, I guess, the conversation, well, the the one-way flow uh, of information to him for about 10 minutes. And he, he was saying nothing at all. And when I was done, he just questioned, every single statement I had made. I could see he had a great memory. And uh, he wanted to obtain evidence or proof that what I had uh, asserted was true. And so that took probably 30 minutes. And then um, I accompanied down, I saw him and his best part disappear at the corner of the street. And I thought, wow, that is not, a good day, I will never see the guy again. And his uh, concluding words uh, were like, okay, we'll get in touch uh, perhaps if um, we need your services. And I thought, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Now to my surprise, Stefan, the next morning, I got a call from the assistant of his vice president for manufacturing. And uh, she was asking me when I could find time to have a meeting with uh, the vice president uh, for emergency coaching on his upcoming presentation to the number two of that huge international group. And so of course you can imagine, uh, I was embarrassed because I didn't know how to say, well, it can be whenever because my agenda is empty until the end of the world. (laughs) And so we fixed the time. And then I went and coached a gentleman. And that was a good day because he was happy, obviously, afterwards. And then the CEO called me to say the same and invited me to meet uh, his uh, other vice presidents to just have an informal conversation about how and if coaching could help them or and their team members. And That was such a blessing after Harvard. So you could think, Stephen, wow, yes, so lucky. But you have to imagine, I had been for months and months and months uh, sending all these uh, emails and having a few meetings with people I knew, and there was nothing coming up, in fact, right? So perhaps it's luck or perhaps it's the fact that I had kept at it and and that had to happen, right? So the lesson I took from that is winners just fight longer. And the second is the importance of authenticity, of being yourself uh, humble and vulnerable. Uh, and, and why? It's because I became friend with that big CEO uh, a couple of years later, and I asked him a couple of years later as well why he had given me a chance. And he told me, because when I saw you in your super crappy office, you did not pretend. Uh, you were just yourself, you were authentic, you were humble, vulnerable, you did not lie or overrepresent yourself. And that told me probably you can be trusted in sharp contrast to so many consultants a guy was meeting every day whom he found arrogant and misrepresenting their value proposition to the business. And he told me, so I thought, yeah, why not give you a chance? Very, very limited risk. Um, yeah, just uh, see one of my guys, have a coaching session, and then we'll take it from there. So, the second lesson is to everyone. I think, as coaches, we really we need to be authentic and humble and vulnerable with our clients in the first place to give them permission to be authentic and humble and vulnerable as well, and that's a precondition for great coaching work to happen. Um, So that's, I think, an important lesson. And the third lesson uh, I got from that story, Stephen, is work hard, but don't put yourself under too much pressure. And I I was at the limit limit of overpressuring myself, in fact. So, yeah, keep some time for enjoyment, for sports, for for, for your health of mind, your mindfulness, right? Um, Yeah, that's uh, a few lessons I took. Stefan. would you like a couple more?
0: Yeah, uh, uh, fantastic. I'd love to. Uh, And I'm also struck, your story resonates with me in terms of, it's very easy to forget that as coaches, we are one of the most impactful tools that we have in our toolkit. Yeah. And and that authenticity and, and being ourselves is so important. Um, to to bring out the best of us.
1: That's right, Uh, without authenticity, humility, vulnerability, uh, there can be no emergence of greatness in a conversation, right? Uh, Because the coach wouldn't take the risk of being himself or herself authentic and humble and vulnerable and then would not bring everything to the conversation without uh, questioning whether it's right or wrong, it's smart or not, right? Uh, and then we would lack like, uh, material to, um, in the exploration that we uh, uh, co-lead with uh, uh, the person we serve as a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Stephen. And one other lesson I, I wish to share with um, you who listen today is uh, um, about the importance of uh, finding your niche um, and uh, advertising it very clearly. That's a mistake I did, Stefan, at the beginning was uh, on my little website, I was was saying, I do leadership coaching, business coaching, life coaching, cross-cultural coaching, you name it, it was there, I I was doing it, right? So the jack of all trades, uh, now, that doesn't fly. It didn't fly, uh, and I had uh, quickly to choose, right? Uh, and and uh, making a choice is so important, I, and I think um, perhaps in, in my experience, uh, the choice is most likely to be a good one when it's at the intersection of one's purpose, uh, one's capability, and the market demand. Um, that and pay for the service right so your purpose is um, really what you stand for what difference you wish to make to the world right your capability is anchored in uh, what, what you've learned uh, to do of course uh, and the accumulation of your experience um, and uh, and then uh, the market demand that pays for the service um, is really important in fact right so if I would be uh, a budding coach uh, with a management background, like I had in uh, in the building materials industry. Uh, then, uh, but I would love uh, uh, the world of healthcare, for example, and my purpose would be to make sure that everybody on Earth is healthier then um, I could probably not go for coaching in healthcare at the beginning because my experience would not be there. So there would be no intersection between my purpose and my capability. Or if I would be inspired to make uh, the world a better place one conversation at a time, right? Uh, And I would be in awe at the work of some NGOs. And I thought, I want to coach those beautiful people, in NGOs who make such a beautiful difference to the world every day, and it would turn out that NGOs have no budget for coaching—just, uh, uh, j- just for the argument's sake, right? Uh, it's you not know, the case actually. Uh, uh, let, let me be clear, Stephen. NGOs have more budget for coaching, right? Uh, and God, isn't that a beautiful thing? Uh, but then. Yeah, just uh, playing with the scenario that uh, at a point in time they would not have budget for coaching. Then they would not be in an intersection between my purpose and the market demand that can pay for services. So then it would not be good to uh, go for that, right? Because I could not make money. Yeah, and so it's good to find a niche. And if there's another part where uh, you love to serve as a coach but it doesn't pay, then uh, we all do some pro bono for causes that we love, right? And then. Uh, we have this beautiful balance of coaching in a niche where we are capable, uh, it fits our purpose, and there is a market demand that pays for the service. And then the other element is where we, we make our hearts sing even more uh, by serving some uh, people who cannot afford coaching. Uh, I, I've been very verbose, so Stefan, you must mm, I think the interview is terrible. <laughs>
0: What, what 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 I was just thinking, uh, uh, Jean-François, was something has just occurred to me: is that how a niche can evolve over time. For instance, as your capability develops, then your niche may evolve into the area that you ultimately want to get into. And likewise, the market circumstances may change, and people in a particular segment may be more willing to pay for something. So, this the concept of a niche, which I think scares some coaches is the fact that they're putting a stake in the ground and they're stuck there. Whereas actually that's their starting point and it will evolve and it'll change and it'll grow. Absolutely right. And in the scenario I was mentioning that uh, I'd love to do uh, uh,
1: coaching for uh, NGO people, right. Um, And that at, At that time it wouldn't pay, then I would do it anyway as pro bono whilst having revenues from another source. And then I would gain my capability. And then, uh, when uh, the time code that comes that there is budget for coaching in NGOs, which is totally the case, so, uh, then uh, I would be uh, ready to also have this part of my revenue stream.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I suppose I'm curious, how's your niche evolved over those 14 years?
1: Oh, totally unmanaged. <laughs> so it did evolve, right? Uh, uh, Simon, I started coaching middle management, of course. Uh, even, even my position uh, in the company before was senior management. Right? You are not given senior managers or senior leaders coach uh, before you've proven yourself in middle management, right? Because there the risk is more limited, in fact. So I, 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 it evolved from middle management to a direct level, to VP, SVP level, to CEO for a country, to regional CEOs, uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what happened. In fact, very naturally. In fact, uh, it was not prompted on my part. I just went with the flow. Some people would probably plan that uh, very well. I, I didn't. In fact. Uh, and, uh, and I'm happy uh, to coach at all levels. So probably 90% of my, my one-on-one coaching now is with country presidents or regional presidents. Uh, but I, I still make it a point to coach a few managers. Uh, uh, from like frontline managers every year because, well, that's something I love to do and it's beautiful and they're great and, and it keeps me in touch with that very important layer in companies uh, hierarchy. In fact, uh, unlike some of the people I may serve who, of course, for lack of time, have kind of lost touch with middle management, in fact, and then as a coach, um, I think it's important we are in touch with organizations. We serve at, at all levels, in fact. Yeah?
0: Mm. Uh, and I suppose I'm struck by, for an executive leadership coach as well, coaching those middle managers today are also, they're, they're potentially the, the CEOs and country presidents of the future. So it's, it's feeding your funnel in a way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, And then uh, it has happened quite many times over the year that uh, I coach someone uh, perhaps in a senior management position. And then five years later, that lady called me again and said, hey, now I'm a vice president and I need a coaching um, engagement with you again because I'm a bit overwhelmed. I want that space where I can reflect, challenge, uh, gain clarity. And, and focus and, uh, and make good things happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah, well, one more thing I, I thought maybe was to share with coaches who are at the first steps of their career is when you go for a chemistry session, do not present what you do to your prospects because that um, may not inspire them much. Instead, coach them right away so that they find out what they need from coaching and experience your coaching style, right? So instead of a kind of selling act, I recommend a coaching session for a chemistry uh, meeting. And the outcome is uh, people have been coached, uh, they found what's important to them, what uh, what they could be working on with you, and uh, hopefully they've got great energy about uh, going forward uh, with you.
0: Makes sense, Stephen? Yeah, no, it's, it's great advice. And all, on that, I suppose, how long would you typically have a chemistry session for them?
1: I'd say often uh, it's 45 minutes to an hour, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Even when it's uh, scheduled as 30 minutes, then uh, we, the, we love the conversation and we take it uh, further than just uh, the narrow 30 minutes.
0: Yes, and and it's also a great way of helping coaches get over the fear of selling, because they're using skills that they already have, which is coaching.
1: Yeah, I, I've probably met uh, well over two thousand, three thousand coaches uh, around the world over the years. Uh, I've yet to meet one who loves to sell. Uh, we all balk at the prospect of having to sell, right? Uh, <laughs> We have this in common. (laughs) So let's not even try. Let's do our job, right? It's uh, more than good enough. (laughs) Oh, makes me think one important thing also uh, I I wanted to uh, share. um, In terms of lesson, I learned uh, pretty much the hard way. um, Well, the story is I was called for a meeting with the HR director of a company that was having like, uh, seven stars hotel. I didn't know it exists, but uh, well, they claim they're Like absolutely awesome hotels. I can't afford a, a night in any of their rooms, and I thought, oh my god, this is heaven. I'm gonna coach in the Maldives. Uh, oh wow! And so I went to see the gentleman, and the first question he asked after a minute or two of niceties was, "Are you ICF certified?" And I said, no, I'm not, not yet. I'm I'm getting close. And then he said, so, well, we'll save our conversation for later. And so that was the shortest meeting of my whole business life. After literally less than five minutes, I was out of the office and I've never been to the Maldives since.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I suppose that's actually a, a, a great segue into your ICF journey. So, you know, how did you go from from that point in time where you weren't, you were nearly ICF certified credentialed through to last year leading up the ICF Global Award. Can you tell me more about, more about that journey, please? Yeah, well, well uh, th- th- thanks for
1: asking uh, Stephen. Um, uh, I started the journey with ICF as just everyone, right? As a, a be- becoming a, a member and then a holder of a credential. Um, and then I, I really enjoyed the opportunities uh, to learn right through communities of practices, uh, learning from the research that's published on the website, learning from all these events at the local chapters where you meet your peers, you uh, bring out your vulnerabilities, uh, your your challenges, your disappointments, and then you are supported to uh, find a better way forward. And there came a time after a few years where I thought, wow. Why don't I pay back a bit? After all, it's an association of volunteers, right? Nobody is uh, paid except uh, for the ICF staff, of course, uh, the professionals that support us all around the world, right? Uh, they are uh, coach-trained but not coaches, right? And so I started to help out uh, with the um, initial stages of the Bangkok ICF chapters uh, development, and then I also uh, helped out in Singapore, and I helped out uh, Bill. Conferences for coaching and then it was joyful and we are such a nice crowd of coaches uh, we, we love to be with each other I think most of the times so, and uh, uh, I really enjoyed that and one, one day I was on holiday with nothing to do for the day and uh, I just saw in my emails come an invitation to um, apply for a position on the global board and I thought hey Since I have nothing to do, why not read further? And uh, it sounded interesting. And then I applied and I had a couple of interviews with members of the nominating committees, which I had thought I had totally messed up uh, to the point that I closed my folders and put it in the shelf very far from me because I thought it was over to my surprise, actually, a couple of weeks later. Two members of the nominating committee invited me to uh, put my, my name on the ballot and, uh, and then I was lucky to be elected and lucky to serve. It's great because, uh, well, first, so the global board of the International Coach Federation has, is made of members or coaches. Uh, the, our mission is to do the very best we can so that the association always grows, it uh, develops, improves its value proposition to members and also to make sure that coaching is more and more valued by potential clients and companies and organizations and governments uh, and make sure that profession can thrive healthily in uh, every country in the world. In fact, so we've got our hands pretty full. Actually, a lot of the work is strategic because the operational work is done uh, our staff and also our colleagues who serve at chapter uh, level, in fact. And um, uh, they also do a lot of strategy, right? Uh, But for for us, it's a lot of strategy. And yeah, it's a a great experience. Um, And last year, we've concluded a work of a couple of years about expanding the reach and the influence of the ICF in service of our members. In fact, and we've uh, created uh, six families under the International Coaching Federation. One family is uh, the one that uh, has been serving coaches for 25 years. Another one is the ICF Foundation, who's been uh, also active for many, many years and reached out, touched the lives of over 60 million people around the world, Uh, cheers to them. Awesome work, awesome people. And then we created four additional families. In fact, one is Coaching in Organizations, Stephen, and that's a family with a board also. And it will work on developing the reach of coaching in organizations around the world so that ultimately organizations benefit more from coaching and our members have more work to do. Another new family is called the ICF Thought Leadership Body, and that family has a board also, and their mission is for ICF to become a beacon of inspiration for the world, and not just the world of coaching, but for adjacent professions as well. So the buzz for coaching is amplified, and one of the goals in the future is um, that these are invited at Davos, for instance, right, the World Economic Forum, where there's never a coach on the panels right and why would that stay that way and then uh, the other two families are one for credentialing and one for training schools Uh, very important families as well right it's about always improving uh, the quality of our credentials and the convenience of our members as they apply for credentials and the uh, other family for schools in fact is also working very importantly to always improve further the quality of coaching education and uh, serves coaching schools so their experience uh, in their interaction with the ICF is always better and better and better and that all we hope and we work hard for will help coaches and the association our association make bigger and better difference for our world that critically needs it yeah yeah Makes
0: sense absolutely and I suppose it was interesting. Actually, I, I was in um, training a couple of weeks back, at the start of a diploma in coach supervision, and somebody yeah. was commenting that they were particularly impressed with the ICF because of the evolution and updates to the competency framework and the ethics, and that the, you know these things aren't just done once and then that's it. We you know we have them; it's actually they're continually updated and reviewed, and made continued to be kept relevant, which is a great testament of the work that the ICF is doing.
1: Yeah, thanks for saying that. Uh, That's music to my heart. Uh, Stephen, we've been working very hard with a big, big number of great volunteers around the world to update the core competencies um, who will uh, be coming in full effect next year. And this year is a transition. We've we brought down their number from 11 to 8. I love the new version. I call them the Da Vinci core competencies. In fact, they are so streamlined and simple to comprehend, easy to translate language, uh, and really even more helpful uh, for coaches uh, and so current. And the same for the Code of Ethics. I also called it the Da Vinci Code, actually, because um, it's reached that, simplicity that is the ultimate sophistication like leonardo da vinci said right now and there again uh, it's been a fantastic word of uh, work of dozens of uh, fantastic volunteers around the world Uh, so it's a code that fares well across cultures and geographies in fact i believe uh, and a very important tool for us coaches
0: yeah and as you look to the future then Given all the traveling and all the coaches that you've met and the countries you've visited over the last um, number of years, I'm guessing, where do you feel coaching is going next or evolving?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for the, the big question, Stephen. And and uh, perhaps as an introduction to, to my answer, i, I like to share a, a few perhaps uh, things about where, where it is today. In fact, and, and first, perhaps the big picture. The big picture is we've been living for a world that is characterized by the ugly acronym VUCA. You know, VUCA stands for vol- volatility and then uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. In fact, and so in short, it's so fast changing, so ever more complex, uh, so ambiguous. Um, that no leader alone is uh, smart enough to figure out the best way forward. And therefore, the great leaders will be those who trigger collective intelligence because the collective intelligence of a group may be good enough to figure out the best way forward for uh, a group or an organization, a company or an institution or a government, right? Um, And so I've taken some time to look at how some of the most admired companies in the world do grow their leaders, and what kind of trait they expect and they groom in their leaders, uh, starting with uh, Google, perhaps. Right? Uh, Google has defined uh, a few years ago Google manager behaviors, and the first one is be a good coach. And perhaps uh, Stephen, you you heard Eric Smith, who was uh, uh, the CEO and the chairman of Google for many, 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 many years, and Alphabet, its parent company, and uh, Eric Schmidt has become a very vocal advocate for coaching. He even wrote the first book about a coach written by a client of that level of seniority, in fact. and It's called The Trillion Dollar Coach, and it's about Bill Campbell, who uh, was uh, serving many, many, many of the uh, senior leaders of the Silicon Valley over two decades, in fact. Um, and so at Google, the first behavior of a manager is uh, be a good coach. Now, uh, Microsoft is another most admired company. And I'd, I'd love to try and remember its uh, mission. Oh, yeah. The mission of Microsoft is empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And that's a mission that they coined just a few months ago with their new CEO. Empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And isn't that our mission? Mission as well is different, right? So the coincidence between uh, what we coaches do and the mission of Microsoft, and and then uh, perhaps even more striking, the leadership principles I Microsoft are: one, create clarity; two, generate energy; and three, deliver success. That's it: create clarity, generate energy, deliver success. And think of it, right? Isn't that exactly what uh, we help the people we serve as coaches to do in a session create clarity, generate and deliver success. Um, yeah, and, um, and that's just fantastic. And then another thing that struck me was uh, how net. Netflix defined their company culture, Stephen, when at that stage where they were growing from an SME to a huge organization and they were so afraid to lose their creativity, their agility, the quality of their collaboration. And so they anchored their culture in freedom and responsibility. And very interestingly, the profile of uh, the rare responsible person they say that uh, they want as employees is like the person that is self-motivated self-aware, self-disciplined, self-improving, acting like a leader, not waiting to be told what to do, and picking up the trash trash lying on the floor. And and that um, is in a document that I recommend everyone to download, you just go to Google and you type uh, Netflix culture. And then you'll see a slide deck that's uh, 124 pages long, but very quick to read because each slide is uh, very simple. Uh, And one of those slides just lists these attributes of the people Netflix wants to groom as employees. And when you think about it, self-motivating, self-awareness, self-improving, acting like a leader, not waiting to be told what to do, and picking up the trust on the floor, so therefore being uh, accountable, not just for oneself, but uh, for the greater good. Uh, isn't that exactly the profile of someone that's successfully successfully been through a coaching engagement? So, mm. Yeah. yeah. When, when you look at those most successful companies, Stephen, you, you see either they embed coaching knowingly, or whatever they do aims at raising people who will behave and think as if they were coach in fact and so I wanted to start with that, that that big picture of a world that calls for more and more collective intelligence and and the fact that the most admired companies in the world are really developing people all who, who, who act um, and, and think as if they were coach, right? Um, and, and most of them develop coaching cultures, in fact. Um, and, and so um, I, I guess uh, in the near future, we'll see more and more of that, like companies developing coaching cultures, having more and more internal coaches in their uh, ranks. Um, and, and also more and more executive coaches for the most senior layers of the hierarchy, right? So that those people at the top who need to clear their mind and think smart about the future and also uh, face their challenges, their behavioral challenges in particular in a safe space, have that possibility to uh, to have a coach. Um, so, so. I'm seeing more and more coaching cultures uh, across the world, like developing in you know, organizations, ministries, uh, institutions, NGOs, and uh, I, I have evidence for that. Um, and more and more internal coaches, and also a growing space for executive coaches uh, from uh, the outside uh, to help senior leaders um, figure out what the best way forward. Uh, and also. Because of the success of coaching in organizations, democratization of coaching, I mean making coaching available for middle management, who uh, has not often benefited from the service, in fact, right? And that's an opportunity that a number of companies now have embraced, in fact. So coaching companies who offer the service of many, many coaches around the world to meet the needs for Just in time or regular coaching for middle management, in fact. So the downside perhaps for coaches is that the fees uh, when you serve a middle management on the payroll of a a big coaching company doing that democratization of the profession, the fees are not so high. But then on on the good side, the volume can be really, uh, really high. And then it's certainly a very good opportunity for relatively young coaches in the profession to get their experience right and then become better and better better at their trade, right? So that's one first trend I'm seeing unfolding. Um, and another one is really uh, team coaching. And the ICF is working very hard at the moment uh, in its research on team coaching. And before the end of the year, we expect to have very useful um, documents uh, to support the growth of team coaches, in fact. Um, I can't promise that because the priority is always to do the research right and not to rush for half baked documents. Um, we'd rather wait a little longer and do something of real great value to our members and uh, rush it out. Uh, and so, yeah, more and more team coaching because, uh, like I said, even. Collective intelligence uh, is necessary to figure out the best way forward for teams, organizations, institutions, ministries, right? And then there will be more and more, and there is already more and more work for team coaches. And then perhaps a third idea is about artificial intelligence, right? Uh, Many of us are thinking, to which extent can artificial intelligence in the future do our job? From what I've read and the conversations I've had about this and the research I, I, I have become uh, familiar with, uh, there, there is indeed a chance over the years that artificial intelligence can do the equivalent of very basic problem solving focused coaching. Yeah? And we can imagine that some apps will ask, like bots do, questions to help people figure out how they can uh, solve their problems, right? But then it's difficult to imagine within the next few years that an app would be able to decipher properly the emotions of a person or the energy of the person. And if they would, then you imagine probably they would have to have so many captors that it would be a freaking experience, right? And it would also be so expensive, right? So cheaper to have a coach, right, than that machine with captors on your body to track your emotions. Your your eye movement, uh, uh, your tone, your body language, and all that, that we coaches can do, right? Uh, So that's my take at the moment on AI. Yes, it can take perhaps the most basic coaching form that's really like problem solving. And no, in the foreseeable future, it cannot replace noble work of uh, good coaches, right? That bring into conversation uh, the client's energy, emotions, tone, body language, uh, and all of the Uh, rest of of the expression of the person in fact that is not with words.
0: Does this make sense? Um. It it does and I suppose what's coming up for me is that in some ways it's an opportunity for where coaching is going in terms of the technology and that artificial intelligence can open up the experience of basic coaching to more people and then that ripples up to you being able to reach through various coaching platforms and everything else, uh, more of that middle management layer, which is actually creating more work for everybody, really for for coaches, for real coaches to to get involved with and and to accelerate and excel at. Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
1: Thanks for saying that, Stephen. You 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 expressed it so clearly. I think it's important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so I'm just conscious of of our time quickly disappearing, and. I suppose I was just curious with a couple of closing questions if, if I may. So if, if you were to go back in time now and give yourself advice that younger self, 14, 15 years ago, starting out as a coach, what would that advice be?
1: Oh yeah, that would be, don't start alone, get a mentor, uh, get, uh, attend, uh, events uh, for coaches, right? Get a peer group, right? And yeah. Don't stay lonely.
0: <laughs> good, good, good advice. <laughs> and coaching is a bit like a sweet shop to me in terms of there's so many things to, that you look at and think, oh, I'd love to learn that. I'd love to learn this. And, and you know, it's a continual process. For you, what, what are you interested in learning next?
1: I'm interested to learn more and more uh, of team coaching, right? It's a beautiful activity. I'm trying my best at it uh, and I can do infinitely better uh, it's highly complex, uh, and uh, the better we do it, uh, uh, the, the better we help uh, uh, the emergence of collective intelligence. Right? Uh, that is uh, priceless, and uh, and make a positive difference to uh, uh, the, 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 the environment around. Right? So the ripple effects of deep coaching are so powerful and uh, of great. Already, and as we all aspire to uh, make a positive difference to the world, and we are uh, well equipped to do that as coaches, uh, I think we will be even uh, better equipped when we have coaching as an additional competency. In fact, Uh,
0: yeah, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, fantastic, and yeah, I suppose what's 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 next? What's next for uh, Jean-François as you as you move forward into the coming years? Yeah,
1: well, more of the same, actually, Stephen, right? Uh, I think coaching is an act of unconditional love, and that makes us so happy. Uh, Research has shown, and neuroscience in particular, that uh, we are happier giving than receiving, right? And and what we give first and foremost as coaches uh, to the people we have the privilege to serve is unconditional love and that they don't get outside, right? And it's so beautiful and so helpful and so fulfilling. That I don't dream of doing anything else. So I feel blessed uh, to have this uh, good fortune to be in that great profession.
0: Fantastic. And and I, I'm certainly feeling blessed to have had the, the opportunity to have connected with you and, and had this wonderful conversation for the last hour. So I really appreciate your, your time and energy that you've, you've brought to this conversation. So, thank you very much, uh, Jean Francois.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Thanks a lot to you and uh, the wonderful things uh, uh, you do. Uh, people who read, uh, listen to your podcasts like I do are blessed too. <laughs> so, thanks. Uh, thanks. Thanks very much. Stay safe.
0: My sincere thanks to Jean Francois for taking time out to talk with me and in sharing so openly about his journey. It's one of the things I truly love about doing this podcast is hearing from really interesting coaches and listening to them share their experiences for us all to benefit from. So thank you, Jean-Francois. As always, I'd love to hear any feedback or comments on this or other episodes of the podcast. So please reach out and drop me an email to stephen at stephenclements.ie and that's Stephen with a PH. Full details of this episode and all the others can be found on my website at stephenclements.ie forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and until next time, stay curious.